loved ones, it is good to be back here with you. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, this is, here, here's a little tip. This is Hope Bible Church, which means there's a good chance you're going to use your Bible every week. So make sure you're bringing it. If you don't have one, Put your hand up nice and high because our ushers are coming with them. You're going to need one today to follow along verse by verse, line by line. Because if God hasn't spoken, I have nothing to say. Okay? So, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. It's on page 534 in those Bibles being handed out. All right. Welcome. Welcome, Hope Ottawa, loved ones. Welcome to the School of Witness. (laughs) The School of Witness. Class is in session. Here we go into our second series of the year, Acts Part 2. Acts Part 2. And now recall... We started Acts part one last year. This would, Lord willing, be a three-year series. We started Acts one, part one, last year, where we did chapters one to seven. And now here we are, pressing on to Acts part two, chapters eight to 12. And the theme, the title of this series is Strong and Courageous in Witness. Strong and Courageous in Witness. And two words as we jump into this series. Here we go, ready? Buckle up. Yeah, that's a good repeat. Buckle up. I mean, we're talking about, we're about to see over the next few months, take a little break at Christmas for Advent and things like that. But over the next few months into the new year, we will see radical conversions. Radical conversions to Christ. We will see the dead raised to life. We will see supernatural rescue from prison. And we will see the spread of the church in Judea and Samaria and so much more. Tune in, get your pens ready, buckle up. Now we need to be clear on something as we venture into the next part of Acts. The mission of the church is to continue the mission of Jesus. Okay, The mission of the church is to continue the mission of Jesus that he started in making disciples of all nations. Now, how are we to do that? What does that mission depend on? Here it is, here it is. It's the main theme of the book of Acts. Every part of it goes back to this theme, and the theme is witness. Witness. Where does that come from? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll see it on the screen. This, this verse actually outlines the entire book of Acts in one verse. I'll show you how. Watch this. But Jesus says, he's about to ascend to heaven. He's talking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power. Power. Greek word dunamai. It means our English word dynamite. Yeah, that's power. Come on supernatural power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be. Why does Jesus give us the Holy Spirit? Why does he do it? To do one thing. Here it is. You will be my witnesses. It's not so we can have a comfy life and hide in the bleachers, blend in with the culture. He goes, I specifically gave you the Holy Spirit for one purpose, the power of God living and active in you to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, That's what we saw in Acts chapter 1 to 7. This is where we're moving on. In all Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 to 12, and then to the end of the earth, that's chapters 13 to 28. Witness. There it is. That's the call. Now, we need to be clear. There's a lot of people here from a lot of different backgrounds, so let's get clear on what the Bible says a witness is. You'll see it on the screen. A witness, write this down, is one who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ. One who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ on their lips, so they proclaim it, but also in their lives. They demonstrate it. There's declaration and there's demonstration. Unafraid, strong and courageous. Here's the thing. This may cause some of you to shudder. Willing to die so that others may live. Is that not the mission of Jesus? Willing to die so that others may live. And the church's mission is to carry on the mission of Jesus. 
so that others may live. Now, this series is absolutely crucial for us to tune. I certainly hope you don't miss even one week because we have a problem. You and I, every day, we can't escape it. We have a problem, and it is this. We struggle to live as faithful witnesses for Jesus, don't we? The struggle is real, isn't it? And there's a variety of reasons, but the main one that most of that comes back to is this four-letter word called fear. Just a quick sample. Just a quick sample. Let's be honest. We're in church. We can't lie. Anyone ever been afraid of witnessing before? Anyone still struggle with fear and witnessing? That family member you can be rejected by? That coworker, that boss that has your job in their hand? Those children? That classmate? We fear man. We fear failure. I don't know enough. What if they ask, you hear this one? Maybe this is for you. What if they ask questions and I don't know the answer? Anyone? Anyone? Hey, students. Yeah, see? Students. Yeah, let's get real. Uh Uh-huh. Love you, youth. Hope youth. Hope kids. Love you. Glad you're here for this. Fear of failure. Fear of opposition. Fear of opposition. My reputation will be tainted. I won't be able to get the job that I want. Is that the purpose of why you were given the Holy Spirit, to get the job you want? It's just time for a heart check, loved ones. Can I encourage us with this tonight? This is the big idea for this text. It's the big idea for this entire series. Write this down. We're going to come back to it again and again and again over the next number of months. Here's the big idea. Jesus has all authority, so be strong and courageous in witness. Jesus has all authority, so be strong and courageous in witness. Remember the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and witness based on my authority. Jesus has all authority, so be strong and courageous in witness. Welcome to Acts Part 2. Let's get a little recap. little recap in case there's a lot of people who weren't here for Part 1. Praise the Lord for that. But check this out. Part one, little recap from the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. Context is key. That's why this is crucial. We're diving into this. Luke was a physician. Did you know Luke was not an apostle? Luke was a physician. He was a meticulous historian. He got the details right. Meticulous historian, and he was an eyewitness to the work of God through the apostles. And to top it off, Luke is a close friend, and he's actually the physician. Luke was a doctor, by the way. You talk about meticulous details. This is written by a doctor under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that personality come out. That's amazing. But he's the physician of the apostle Paul. Now, Luke addressed this book to Theophilus, the same person he addressed the gospel of Luke to. Theophilus. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus was, but we know he's a Roman dignitary, and it seems like he was either a seeker of the faith or he was a new Christian. That's why Luke writes to him in the gospel of Luke. He says that you would have certainty concerning the things you've heard and have been taught. All right? So he's either a seeker, wondering, is this real? Can I trust it? Or he's new in the faith. All right, point two. Acts is the second part or continuation of Luke's gospel. It was actually written, Luke and Acts were actually written to be a single continuous work. Okay? A single continuous work. And that's why Acts picks right up where Luke left off. It picks right up there. After Jesus' resurrection and the 40 days before his ascension, Here's the other thing we need to understand about Acts because um, without this understanding, we're not going to get what we need to get out of it. Acts is a historical narrative. This is the genre. Whenever you're reading a book of the Bible, here it is, Bible Study 101, 
Make sure you understand the genre of the book that you're reading because you interpret different books differently based on the genre. So you have the Pauline letters, you have the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, you have the prison epistles, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, you have the historical books, Joshua, etc. You have the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes and Psalms and Proverbs, you have the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, you have the eschatology, eschatology, eschatology say that ten times fast, eschatological book of Revelation, and there's Daniel as well, you have the Major prophets, minor prophets, genre. Acts is a historical narrative. It covers the span from 33 to 64 AD of the first 30 years of history and growth of the church from Jerusalem to Rome, which was the ends of the earth at that time, in response to the Great Commission. So if someone tells you, hey, kids, 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 youth, eyes up here. If someone's like, have you ever taken church history? You ever taken a class on church history? You can say yes if you come to this whole series because Acts is church history. But more importantly than that, get this, loved ones. Acts isn't just church history. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, this is your family history. This is your family history. Your brothers and sisters who've gone before you. Let's tune in. Let's tune in. Number four, Acts describes the transition period. This is why this is going to be very important. Acts is describing the transition period between Jesus' earthly ministry to his ministry from heaven as he builds his church through the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people. Now, you notice the title of the book is Acts of the Apostles. You could accurately, and I think more accurately, describe it as Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Okay, so Jesus is continuing his ministry from heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit in his people. So let's recap. Chapters 1 to 7 was the witness to Jerusalem. You'll see a picture, the map of Jerusalem here, right in the middle, right in the middle. You see Judea below it, Samaria above it. There's Jerusalem circled right in the middle. That's where 1 to 7 was focused. Chapters 1 to 2 gave us the witness, promise, and power. Chapter 1, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, as we saw. Chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit, and they are powered up for mission. And we also get this beautiful curtain pulled back, and we see life in the early church, doing life together. It is so beautiful. Go back and read that. Then in chapters 3 to 7, the second part, we see witness multiplication. More disciples are being made. Praise the Lord. The church is exploding from day one, first sermon. But we also see witness opposition. Witness opposition. This opposition in chapters three to four comes externally. After, after John and Peter are walking to the temple and God heals a lame man from early days, never walked a day in his life, and then that raises opposition. Peter gets up, preaches the gospel, and then in Acts 4, they're arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin that is the Supreme Court of Israel. And then you get chapters 5 to 6 where Satan switches his strategy. He stops trying to oppose the church externally from the outside, and then the opposition comes internally. Chapters 5 to 6, how? 5 and 6, Ananias and Sapphira. They lie to the Lord. They lie to the church. There's impurity in the church. And what does God do? Bang. Don't think God cares about the purity of his church? He takes their breath away and they drop dead. And then you get to Acts 6 and the opposition, the enemy again takes a different strategy. How? Through grumbling and complaining and discontent. As the Hellenistic Jews start grumbling that they're, they're thinking they're being left out of the food distribution and the apostles are doing it on purpose and blah, blah, blah. And so the, the apostles need to address that. And by God's grace, they have the wisdom to do that by their spirit. And yet we need to see this. Through it all, the church continues to advance and multiply all over Jerusalem. You can't stop it. You can't stop the gospel. And so chapter 7, right before where we are today is mostly one speech. Chapter 7 is one speech given to a man, given by a man named Stephen, who was a leader in the church. He was actually the first martyr in the church. He was arrested. Stephen was arrested and preached the gospel in front of the Sanhedrin and others who opposed the church. Go back a few verses. Look at this. Look at the final moments of Stephen's life. Here's the end. 
chapter 7, starting at 54. Let's get our context. Ready? Here we go. Now, when they, that is the Sanhedrin, the opposition, the leaders of the Jews against Stephen, when they heard these things, when they heard the gospel, look at this, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. This is the fury that's coming against the church. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, look what he's doing, look at his posture, gazed into heaven. Team, can we put that picture up? This is what's going on. There's Stephen. He's gazing into heaven. I love this picture. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, Stephen says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But notice the Jews, he said, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Look at the the ferociousness on the looks of those faces. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul As they were stoning Stephen and he called out, this is Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, first prayer. And falling to his knees, just like you see right there, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said these things, he fell asleep. And today, as the ministry to Judea and Samaria begins, we see two absolutely essential truths we must believe if we are to trust in the authority of Jesus and be strong and courageous in our witness that he's entrusted to us. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter eight, verses one to eight. Let's read this nice and loud all together. Acts chapter eight, verses one to eight. And Saul approved of his execution. Yes, A great persecution against the church. Mm. Except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. All God's people said, amen. Lord, help us to get your word and be gotten by your word. First thing we see is this. Be strong and courageous, Hope Ottawa. Be strong and courageous in witness, believing this, that Jesus is sovereign over all opposition. You believe that today? Jesus is sovereign over all opposition. It literally has no chance against him. I don't care how scary it looks. You turn on the news, I don't care how scary it looks. It has no chance against the king of kings. Jesus uses, why? Watch this. You see it in the text? Look at this truth. Jesus uses opposition to advance his kingdom. Will you trust him and keep sharing the gospel? Look at back to one to four again. Let's go. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Verse 2, devout men, these were men who, they weren't necessarily believers, they were just devout Jewish men, and they disagreed with the mob scene that just killed Stephen. They thought it was unjust. And so in seeing this, they buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, here he is again, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, who's this guy Saul? We've seen him listed three times in the past few verses. Well, Saul was one of the highest and most decorated Pharisees in all of Israel. He actually studied under the most renowned Pharisee of all time, Gamaliel. He was his prized student. And so Saul 
He trained at the most prestigious rabbinical school. He knew his stuff. He was climbing the ranks. Saul was fervently zealous for God and destroying. He was zealous to destroy all opposition to the Lord. How do we know this? Look at verse 1. Verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. He approved it. Now, hold on. It's not saying this. Saul's like, when he says he approved of it, Saul's like, yeah, you know what? Okay, I can see why you'd want to do that. Okay, fine. Uh-oh. That Greek word for approved means to consent in an enthusiastic way. This wasn't any passive, okay, if you feel you guys need to do that. It was enthusiastic, like, yes, yes, throw another one. Yes, I'll hold your coats. You go to it. Yes, it means it gives pleasure to see it done. Saul's getting pleasure. Put that picture back up there, team, please. Saul is getting pleasure from this. He's standing on the sidelines. As Stephen's head is being crushed, Saul's getting pleasure from this. It gives me pleasure to see that man killed. There's a picture of how much Saul hated the church. It gives me pleasure, and I take great delight in seeing that man's life destroyed. And then you see in verse 3, even after the execution, what's Saul doing? He hated the church so much What's he doing? Verse three, go to the text. Saul is still ravaging the church. That means to de- devastate and destroy it. Saul's MO was the destruction of the church. Everything was bent on that. And he's literally, notice the text, he's literally going door to door, probably not even knocking, barging down the door, grabbing them, and dragging off, literally, notice the text, dragging, graphic, dragging off men and women who claim the name of Christ to prison. And then personally, as we'll see later on, he's overseeing their execution. He's breaking in, breaking down the door, dragging them off through the street with glee. That's Saul. If I could sum it up, Saul is the greatest human threat to the church at this time. There's no greater threat. There's no one. If you mention the name Saul, fear would come right down your spine. Is that door locked? Are those shades drawn? Saul's coming. He was the greatest hater and cruel persecutor of the church. Now, I want you to notice this. Look at the result of Stephen's execution. Go back to verse 1. Eyes in the book. Back to verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. You know what happened after Stephen's death? The floodgates of persecution opened against the church. It was open season on any man, woman, or child who claimed the name of Christ. You're marked. Floodgates get open. And let, let's understand, we've heard a lot over these last four years, especially when COVID hit, and we heard this before. This. What, what does God mean when he says persecution? What is it? Let's get the Bible's definition instead of social media's. Can we agree that's a better option? Okay, good. Let's go to the book. Persecution, the original manuscript here, means to hunt down like an animal. To hunt someone down like an animal, to conquer them, to obliterate them, and to force them to give up their religion. That's persecution in God's eyes. Now you tell me, how does that measure up to the word persecution that's been chucked around over the last four years? Anyone knocking on your door, hunting you down? To obliterate you? No. Let's be biblically informed, loved ones. And the result of this persecution, go to the text, notice, 
the church scatters to the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, notice that, except the apostles. That's key. We'll get back to that in a minute. The leaders who stayed in Jerusalem, because that was where the headquarters of the church was, in Jerusalem. Now, you may say this. You may look at those first four verses, first three verses, and you'll be like, how is this anything but defeat? This is a train wreck. Where's the sovereignty of Jesus in this? You expect me to trust in the authority of Christ? You expect me to trust that God's plan is not hindered here? When all I see is a mess in verses 1 to 3. Bloodshed. Churches broken down. They met in houses. They didn't have buildings like this. He's like, how is this the picture of God's sovereignty? People are dying. Persecution's rising. The church is scattering. They're separated from their leaders. What do you mean the enemy has no chance of stopping the church? Eyes of faith, loved ones. Eyes of faith. It's easy to look at that and be like, it looks pretty stopped or defeated right here. And maybe you're looking around today as you look at the news. And you're looking around our city, you're looking around this world today, and maybe you're thinking the exact same thing as what I just said. How is the gospel even advancing? How is the church? What? There's so much opposition, persecution. Hold on. Hold on. Ready for some encouragement? Go to verse 4. Go to verse 4. Eyes in the book. Look what it says. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Awesome. I'm going to say it again. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, that word scatter, by the way, in verse 1 and verse 4, you know what it means? I love this. It means to sow throughout. To sow. Here's Jesus sowing people and his church and advancing his kingdom. Just sowing them into new communities, into new opportunities. He's sowing them. I love that. Jesus is sowing in the sorrow. Maybe someone needs to be encouraged with that tonight. Jesus is sowing in the sorrow. Now it says, what do they go about preaching the word? The, the word for preaching there is euangelizo. It's not the common one, caruso, which means to herald, like what I'm doing right now to you. It's not formal preaching. It means to share. To share the gospel, to share the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ, to share it. So what this means is, as the early church was scattered, they're just going into their stores. They're just going into the restaurants. They're just going into their neighborhoods. They're just going into the library. They're just going this. They're just around the street, all doing all this daily life. Strong and courageous missional mindset. That's what that means. Euangelizo. Just a missional mindset every day. Notice this. Their strategy, God's strategy for them, was not some big organized evangelistic outreach. We'll just gather everyone and we'll hand out pamphlets and, and then we'll have some big, you know, organized event. No, 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 look. The outreach was their lives. The life of the Christian is to be the outreach of the gospel. And organized events have their place. Sure, we've done them before. Lord willing, we'll do them again. But 99% of evangelism is in the day-to-day. -day. And you see it right here. The outreach was their life. The outreach is to be your life and mine. That's the outreach. The missional mindset. They weren't, and notice this. When they get scattered, what would you do? Live in the text. The apostle Paul, you're always looking over your shoulder. You know he's coming for you, and he's ravenous. What would you do if you scattered? Would you want to hunker down and kind of hide? Would you want to hide? Let's just be honest. That fear again. What's going to happen to me? I saw Stephen get his head broken off. That could be me. I, 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 maybe I should hide. Maybe I just try to blend in and lay low. The New Testament church knew nothing of laying low. They were out. They knew the opposition was there. And yet they were in the streets, easy to find. They weren't sitting in anxiety and fear. Don't forget, you say, but the, you don't know my situation. Guess what? The New Testament church had jobs. The New Testament church had families. They had reputations. And they didn't love their life so much that they were afraid to lose it. Are you? Do you? Here's the early church. You angle There it is. 
And notice this, they're not holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. I'll never forgive Saul for what he did in this opposition. And No, 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 they're not letting that paralyze them. Instead, they were continuing to live strong and courageous on mission in the power of the Spirit, trusting in the power, authority, and sovereignty of Jesus. Missional mindset. You know what the motto of the early church was right here? Here it is. This is not fear time. This is faith time. They went about preaching the word. Let's go. You want to hear about Jesus? Didn't your friend just die for that? Yep. You want to hear about him? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. They knew what we must know today. Hey, get this. Fire up, church. Ready? They knew what we must get today. They were literally, if you are a true follower of Christ in this room, the early church right here, they knew they were literally invincible until Jesus called them home. They're not going to die one second before he says. And then when he brings them home, it's a promotion. It's a win-win. You and I as Christians are literally invincible in the power of the Spirit until Jesus says, time's up. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then he brings us home. And we're in a way better place. Why are we afraid? Let's get to the root of some of these fears. See, here's the result. You'll see it on the screen. The very means the enemy was using to rein them in are the very ones Jesus is using to send them out. I'm going to clamp down on the church and persecute them. Jesus is like, fine, I'm going to sow them elsewhere. And I'm going to fulfill my promise to go to Judea, Samaria. Way you go. You can't stop the church. You can't stop the gospel. Opposition here. And we have a tough time getting our minds around this, loved ones, but we must if we're going to live courageously on witness. Opposition was the God-ordained wind to spread the flame of the gospel. Talk about this. This will blow your mind. Opposition, persecution, was the God-ordained wind to spread the flame of the gospel. It started out as a tongue of fire, then the opposition under God's sovereignty, what he allowed, led to this. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. To see his promise fulfilled, not only that they would be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria too. Isaiah 46.10, God says, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I know the end from the beginning. I got this. You think you're reigning the church in? Uh, It's advancing, thanks. Now I want you to notice, you may say this, you may say this. I, I, I can't do this. That's a hard call, isn't it? There's a lot of fear. We love our lives a lot. And we might think we have a lot to lose. Families and jobs, just like these people just like our brothers and sisters, our family before us. But I want you to encourage, I want you to be encouraged. Go back to verse one for a second. Notice verse one. These uh, men and women, they weren't distinguished apostles. Where did the apostles stay? In Jerusalem. They didn't go to Samaria. What? And there's this big spiritual awakening. Well, who's going to Samaria? You don't even know most of these missionaries' names. Notice what God did. These men and women, they weren't distinguished apostles. They weren't the most learned. They were nobodies from nowhere. Do you know their names? They're not listed. We won't know who these people are until we get to heaven. Normal, everyday men and women, but empowered by the Holy Spirit and living on mission. Missional mindset. The vast majority of these missionaries, they never even get mentioned in this book. And so notice this. It's spreading spreading. You can't stop the church. Here it goes. And be encouraged with this quote right here. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus uses ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Jesus uses ordinary people in the day-to-day in the hands of an extraordinary God. Every Christian is called to be a witness and has been given the power of God to do so. 
And while suffering, as one commentator said, while suffering may be inevitable, God's mission is unstoppable. While suffering may be inevitable, God's mission is unstoppable. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. Yeah. You were going to join me on that for the next chorus. That's amazing. You're with me. Come on. Jesus uses opposition to advance his kingdom, but the question comes down to this. Will you trust him and keep sharing the gospel? As you look around today at this world and the wickedness in the wars and the increasing opposition that is against the church, would you, will you trust him and keep sharing in your job, even though it may cost you reputation, salary, status? How about your school and your class, guys? Are you looking at your schooling as a mission field? Will you do that? How about in your family, even though that relationship could be strained? I want you to think of that specific situation right now. That witness opportunity that God's given you that you're afraid to share the gospel in. Who is it with? Where is it? Just write it down. Right there. Write it down. And here's my question. Do you think that God is sovereign even over that situation? Will you trust him that he sovereignly sowed you into that position, into that relationship? For this moment, he's sown you. And that if that opposition comes as a result, it won't stop his work. His kingdom will advance and he will only use it for your greatest good. He will only allow opposition against us for our greatest good and for his greatest glory. That's it, out of his love for us. Will we trust him? That takes the eyes of faith. Where do we need to do business? Loved ones, take a lesson from our family. This is not fear time. This is faith time. Why? Matthew 16, 18, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build it and the gates of hell will not prevail. A strong and courageous witness believes Jesus is sovereign over opposition. It has no chance of stopping him. And lastly, with this, here it is. Ready? Second one, get your pens. Hang with me. They believe, ready? Strong and courageous witness believes Jesus will confirm his word. He will confirm his word as it goes forth. There is no doubt about it. Jesus will be faithful to his word. Amen? Jesus will work his word, his way, for his glory. Here's the question facing you and I, the application. Will you trust him for gospel fruit as you proclaim it? Will you trust him for gospel fruit? Look at verse 5. Philip, we get our first name of the first missionary here. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Okay, The narrative now shifts to focusing on the ministry in Samaria through an evangelist named Philip. Now recall, in Acts 6, we saw Philip was one of the seven leaders chosen to serve in the church. He was filled with the spirit and wisdom. He was actually known, later on in Acts 21, verse 8, as Philip the evangelist. And he leads, no, notice where he goes. He heads under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to the city of Samaria, of all places. To the city of Samaria. You'll see it here. He leaves Jerusalem. He goes up to the city of Samaria. You say, wait a sec, Samaria is a region. What do you mean city? We don't know the city in Samaria he was in. Samaria is the region. Now this is a bold, bold step for Philip to take. Why? (laughs) Because you think, if he's just getting scattered, you think the Lord would be like, hey, you know what? I know you just had a hard time. Let's give you a few easy ones. You know, people that you know and love and could do all this. Where is Where does God send him? To the most hostile people group against the Jews, the Samaritans. He sends them there. It's like school of witness in session. He doesn't make it easy for them. I just love this. It's hostility between Jews and Samaritans. I mean, if you were looking for an easy crowd to share the gospel with, you would not go to Samaria. They couldn't stand you and you couldn't stand them. It was the toughest crowd. They hated each other. Why? Because Samaritans were considered unclean half-breeds by the quote-unquote pure Jews of Judea in Jerusalem. They were part Jew and part Gentile. Okay, in 722, okay, 722 BC, they were exiled and Assyria, they mixed with Assyria and then they came back and so they were this half-breed. 
And they worshipped at different temples. They wouldn't even go down to Jerusalem to worship. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. <laughs> and they, they, the Samaritans only viewed the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. Even though the rest of the Jews looked at the whole Old Testament. And they didn't even want to be that associated with the Jews. So they made their own Pentateuch. Like this is how deep the ethnic divide goes. The racism goes that deep. Think the gospel's powerful enough for that? Oh, yeah. Will you trust it? Will you trust it? Major issues, major hostility, and yet this is where the Spirit, spirit sends Philip. Would you go? Would you? Would you go? Would I? That's where you find out what you really believe. And he goes in there. Look at what Philip does. Nobody from nowhere goes in there with strong and courageous faith in the Lord, in his sovereignty, in the power of the Spirit, in the Word, and he proclaims the gospel. This word for proclaim is the formal preaching of God's Word, caruso. It means to herald God's Word. And notice what happens as he preaches God's Word and God's power. Oh, get your eyes in the book. Verses 6 to 8. Let's go. Watch this. And the crowds, remember, the hated enemy... Look at this. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For look what happens. Look how Jesus is confirming his word. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, that's demons, they came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Hey, what's too hard for God? You think racism's too hard for God? You think bitter enemies opposing each other is too hard for God? Mm-mm, not a, everyone say, not a chance. And as Philip preaches the gospel to them, notice what Philip preached. He didn't try to make it all attractive for them. He didn't preach his own opinions. He didn't preach some motivational pep talk. Hey, guys, you should really get along and try it. No, no, no. What did he do? He preached the gospel One message Jesus gave us for the mission that overcomes all the hostility, division, and the ethnic barriers. And notice what happened. The hostile crowd under the sovereignty of God is unified and giving their full attention to what Philip's saying. Man, this is like every preacher's dream audience. They're just like, they're not like, take it back. Don't think I don't see you. They're They're, They're like, Dialed in. Dream audience, man. Wow. And here's, I'm sure Philip, I would have loved to see Philip as he's preaching and everyone's just like, and his jaw just, that's amazing. He's a nobody from nowhere. Filled with the power of this, that's amazing. And as they listened to him and witnessed him by the power of the Holy Spirit perform the miraculous signs that confirm the truth of the gospel, notice what happened. Demons are getting cast out. Paralyzed, lame people are healed, restored to health. And notice verse 8. What does that lead to? Go to the book. It's leading to much joy in that city as they knew the Lord was among them. Oh, there's nothing like knowing the presence of the Lord to bring the joy of the Lord. See what God did? He brought joy out of sorrow. That's our God's specialty. And Jesus was giving them. See what Jesus is doing right here? He's giving them the picture of what life will be like in Christ's coming kingdom. These are all traits of the coming kingdom. When we are removed from the presence of sin, hey, no more demons. No more diseases. Can I just encourage you that? I don't know what you're struggling with, any health issues, and I, don't, I can't promise you it will be cured on this side of eternity or healed by Jesus on this side of eternity, but I do know that if you're saved in Jesus Christ, it's getting healed. You press on. There's a taste of the kingdom right there. Unending joy in the presence of Jesus. You longing for that day? Do you long for others to long for that day too? Now, we need some clarity here. As a historical narrative, genre is important. As a historical narrative, Acts has both descriptive and prescriptive parts. That means there are parts of Acts that describe what happened in this specific transition period when the church was breaking into the world. 
And there's other parts that are prescriptive, which means we need to do them today in the power of God. We need to be obedient to those commands. And so here's what it means for specifically for verse 6 and 7. It means the signs that Philip is seeing, that Jesus is doing to confirm his word, they are not prescriptive. When the gospel goes forward, if you don't see lame people healed and demons being cast out, it doesn't mean the gospel's not at work. It is not prescriptive here, loved ones. It is descriptive. As they're not normative, but as the gospel's breaking into the world, the church, to confirm the truth of the message, this describes what God did. Okay? Now, can God still heal? Yes, he can. Can he still do miracles? Oh, yeah, he does. He does. But here, here's what I want to challenge us with. We can get so caught up in signs and signs and signs, we miss the Savior. See, God's greatest miracle now, as it was back here, is not giving someone new legs, but a new heart and salvation. Yes, he does miracles. Changing a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Oh, yeah. Try to do that. Not going to happen. And so what does this mean? Here's what's prescriptive for us from this, is that we are called to be faithful and witness proclaiming the gospel and know that as we do in the power of the Spirit, Jesus will confirm his word to those people in his way for his glory. No matter how hard a heart we're speaking to, no matter the hostility facing us, it is never so hard that it can't stop the gospel's truth from being confirmed and from doing everything Jesus intends for it to do in that person's life. Who is that person for you today? Don't believe me? Check out Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. It says this. God says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word, not your words, not how smart you want to be, my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. What's he saying? I'm going to confirm it. I'm going to work it how I want to work it for my glory in that person's life but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Here's what Jesus saying. I'll confirm my word. You be faithful to open your mouth. And today, I love this church. I love you so much, church. And I look around here, in this room even, and I see testimony after testimony of how Jesus has confirmed his word to his people. Just look around. You don't think God's still doing miracles? Look around. He's confirmed it again and again, and he con as it continues to be faithfully proclaimed. Lives, I'm looking at some of you right now, and you're all like, mm, like this. I get it. I'll just look into the camera. <laughs> I'm looking around this room, and I'm seeing lives that have been transformed. You were once walking in darkness, and now you're walking in light. Welcome to the confirmation of the gospel. I'm looking at transformed transform marriages that have been healed by the power of the gospel as that couple humbled themselves under it. I'm looking at relationships that have been reconciled where division has been defeated and unity restored. I'm looking at the unity of this church. Did you know this church makes no sense on paper? It just makes no sense. How can you have 40 to 50 different nations in one place that aren't tearing each other apart? I'll tell you how. The gospel. The gospel. That's how. The unity of this church, when we're surrounded by an increasingly divided world, loved ones, look around you. This is the confirmation of the gospel, the confirmation of the good news. And we are commissioned to proclaim it in strong and courageous faith, believing he is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign over every ounce of opposition. It has no chance. And he will confirm his word. There is no doubt. Even if we don't have the privilege of seeing him do it in our life in this world. Know this. You'll see it on the screen. Our God is faithful. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. 
Jesus will work his word, his way for his glory. Will you trust him for gospel fruit? Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior before. Here's, here's, here's your application. Don't, don't, don't shuffle around. Just listen attentively. Hang with me. Will you hear the word today and respond in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? Believing that you are a sinner. You are a sinner. Separated from God. Alienated from him. No chance to get to him. And yet Jesus is the son of God who came to earth who lived a perfect life, did not sin once, went to the cross in your place and paid the penalty that you deserved and died on that cross and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death and it stands ready to forgive you and give you eternal life if you would but come. This is the same message Philip's proclaiming here. This is the beautiful gospel. Today, when you hear his voice, will you harden your heart? The Bible says, do not, and you can know this joy. Verse 8, Samaritan joy, much joy in that city. That can be yours today. And brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, here's our challenge. Where's your unbelief? Where's your unbelief? In the sovereignty of God and in the power of his word to change a life by the spirit of God. As you look at the news, as you confront your doubt and fear, maybe the unrighteous anger that you're holding on to, here's our challenge for this first step. Repent. Repent of your unbelief. Cast it on the Lord. Tell him, cast it on the Lord. and He will care for you. Secondly is this. Who has God put around you? Who has God put right, sown you into their lives? Who has he put around you? Proclaim it, knowing this. Big idea one more time. Jesus has all authority. He'll be strong and courageous in witness. He won't fail. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are an awesome, awesome God. And I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you did not leave us alone. Oh, Lord, what a start to this series. What a start. Lord, thank you for our faithful brothers and sisters, just these nobodies from nowhere, and yet in the hands of an all-powerful God, chosen, called, saved, sanctified, and now in your presence, saying you were worth it all. Lord, I pray you would give us that missional mindset, that eternal perspective, that we would be strong and courageous in our faith in you, not in ourselves, not in our abilities, but in you, in you alone. And we would trust you and be willing to go. No matter the cost, we would follow you. Help us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Will you stand and respond in worship with us, loved ones?